have hope even in the midst of persecution and suffering because there is something to hope for. You have this great inheritance awaiting you that you've tasted, but the fullness of it is awaiting you. And then Peter goes on to talk about holiness and how in order to hold on to this, in order to walk faithfully towards that inheritance that's laid out before them, that they have to walk in holiness with God. And and holiness with God puts them into a, a place of presence with God. So walking in holiness is this this way that they continue to journey in the midst of persecution towards this inheritance that God um, has laid out for them, which is hard. When you're telling a bunch of people that are being persecuted um, for their faith and being marginalized in their culture because of their faith to continue to walk forward in holiness, because walking in holiness will only bring on more persecution. Being more Christ-like will even bring on more persecution. And so what he's asking them to do is, is a tall order, but, but he's saying it's worth it. Hold on to your faith. Let this suffering refine your faith because there's this great inheritance for you. This morning, we're going to continue on in 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 22. And I want to read the section that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you want to flip to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. This is their inheritance. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, appropriate, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Let's pray. God, we pray that your word this morning would would be just that. It would be this pure spiritual milk. It would be this nourishment. Not that just exists, but that we crave because of how you've designed us, because of the connection you've designed us to have with you, Lord. So God, let us receive your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So this section obviously focuses on the word, the eternal word of God. And we're going we're gonna to get there, and we're going to get deeper into this passage. But first, I just wanted to talk about just words in general and their value and importance to us as human beings. Um, words have a lot of um, jobs that they perform, I guess you could say. And we're going to look at a couple of those. Words communicate ideas. Um, we live in a society now where there's lots of ways to get words out. Right? There's all kinds of social media platforms, there's all kinds of media, there's billboards, there's images, there's all ways that words get out, and they communicate ideas. So if you're politically inclined at all and you follow politics, you know that we're in an age when there's lots of words being thrown around about politics, right, from two different sides in particular. And um, so you can go, for instance, onto CNN's website and find an article about some political issue. You could go onto Fox News website and find an article about a particular issue. Same issue, 
but the words communicate a very different thing, right? Same topic, same conversation, but completely different viewpoint, communicating a very different idea. And it's how those words are used that change how that idea or that viewpoint is communicated. Words describe things. Um, Saul, this terrible thing, uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago, I saw a fight live in real life between a a police officer and a a guy on the street. And I saw it just kind of happen and unfold, and it was really unsettling. Um, And this guy attacked this cop, and the cop wrestled him down, and these other people came in and helped the cop, and it was just this big scene, and it kind of shook me up. And when I went home, I was describing to Courtney what I saw. And I've used these words as best I could to describe the situation and how it unfolded. And she was able to get a mental picture in her head because she wasn't there of what I had experienced. So words are used to describe things. Words protect us um, in good ways and bad ways. We use words to defend ourselves if somebody's accusing us of something and we feel uncomfortable with that accusation. We use words to defend ourselves against what they are saying to us. We might... Uh, protect ourselves by judging other people with our words. So we might feel insecure about something, and so we're judging somebody with our words, either in our mind or actually verbally speaking it to somebody else or to that person. So that protects us from feeling bad about ourselves if we can judge them lower than us. Um, We might protect ourselves in a good way by speaking truth, by defending truth, by speaking things that are true about ourselves, the people around us, the world that we live in. Words also make us desire things. So you might hear somebody talking about something. I want that. Somebody talked about a vacation that they went on. I want to go there. Or you see uh, an advertisement on TV or on a billboard. I, I want that. I desire that. So words have this power to draw us towards something and to convince us that we want that in our life in some way. We want a piece of that. We want to experience that. We want to live with that. Words also initiate Action, And this is a very powerful thing about words. Um, I tell Samuel, son, pick that up off the floor. In theory, that should initiate some sort of action in my world. Um, It might not immediately. It typically takes two or three times. If you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, it literally takes three times every time I tell him to do something. So I don't know how powerful my words are. But but words... can initiate an action. Somebody can say, those people over there are different than us. We should go kill them. And that initiates an action. Uh, you know what? They are. Look at what, they, look at what those people have done to us. And that's how, how wars start, with these words that speak hatred towards other people or other groups of people because they're a different color or they're a different religion or they're a different culture. And, um, and these, these words keep coming and coming and coming, and then people start believing it. You know what? We should be afraid of those people. We, we should go attack them. We should go kill them. So words initiate action. Um, when I first met Courtney, I was attracted to her, but I, only because of what I saw. And then when I heard her talk, like something else came out, like a depth came out of her. And I was like, oh, I really like, like her. And that initiated an action. Her words initiated an action, a a pursuit by me, and then eventual marriage, and then kids that don't listen when I ask them to pick things up, right? So words initiate actions. As as I've thought about words, um, I believe that words are our most commonly used tool on a daily basis 
depending on what you do and how you live your life and how the flow of your life is, um, there's different things that you have or you use and you rely on. You know, maybe it's your phone. Um, maybe it's, you know, a tool that you use at work. Maybe it's paper or a computer. But words are our most, as far as humanity is concerned, I believe our most commonly used tool. And whether we are giving those words, like right now, words are coming forth from me to you. So I'm giving them, you're receiving them. So we can give words, we can receive words, and that impacts us in different ways. Um, Those words come from a number of sources. Um, Those words might be written. They might be spoken. They might be self-talk in your head. I really hate that person. Oh my goodness. All right, this is how I'm going to get revenge on them. this This is why I'm better than them. Or... This is why I stink as a person. You know, there's that self-talk that we have as well. Those words might be helpful. They might build up. They might be hurtful. They might break something down. Um, They might be good. They might be bad. And, you know, we can talk all day about what's good and what's bad. Um, but, But there's all these different ways that words come at us or come forth from us. Words are powerful, right? These are not all the ways that words work in our life. There's many, many more I'm sure that you could come up with, but words are very, very powerful. And I'm sure you could all think of a a way in your life that somebody spoke something to you that just made you feel like you were on cloud nine. And people have also spoken things, words to you, maybe just one word that just completely destroyed you. Words are powerful. They're powerful because they were a foundational tool in our existence. They're the mechanism by which we initiate action. They're the mechanism by which we express emotion. Motivations flow from words. Creativity flows from words. Lots of things rest on the foundation of words spoken or written. How many of you are like me, and when you were growing up, you were fascinated with model trains in some way, shape, or form. Like you'd see a train table and you'd just like go over and be like, oh my goodness, look at this little world. Show of hands. No pressure, but everybody should be raising their hand. I mean, seriously, did you not see model trains when you were a kid? Or, you know, you see, they call them now, I never heard this word growing up, train gardens. You can attach garden to anything, you know? Train garden. You're in the mall. It's the holidays. There's a train garden. Or you go to some, Joy, what's that Christmas place that you hate called? Sorry, this wasn't in my sermon. Christmas up in Bethel area. Sorry, man, if you love it, I thought it was cool. So if you like it, you're like me. I don't know. There's this huge room with trains. It's incredible. And there's like mountains and trees and little people. And I remember our friends growing up, they would set up this huge train display in their living room. And you could barely walk around the perimeter of their living room. And there was like, you could, the train had little puffs of smoke that came out of it. And there was an oil well that had a bubble that went up. Does anybody, are you, anybody here know what I'm talking about? The oil, the oil well. And I was just like, look at that bubble. And you could smell the electric coming off the track. I don't know if you can smell electric, but I thought that's what I was smelling at the time. And, and the little people and, and the, the moving parts, it was just incredible, Right. That should be you if it wasn't. You missed out. Look at those kids. They're happy. They're mesmerized. And it's, it's an electric train. Okay, so 
uh, I wanted this awesome train set when I was a kid. And so my dad um, was going to build me this train table. So we went to the hobby store and we got this booklet of all these train table layouts. And I picked like the awesomest one in the book. And my dad was going to build this for me for Christmas. And so dad went to work. And I mean, Hershey's aren't really that good with our hands. Um, But, you know, I mean, my dad... Yeah, I mean, I'm not passing anything along to my sons in, in that area. And neither did I get much inherited to me from my dad and likewise my grandfather to my father. But my dad was going to build this table. So he bought all this lumber and he was building this huge L-shaped table in our basement. And, you know, he laid it with that fake green grass stuff that you roll out for trains, which you should all know about because you should all have loved trains when you were a kid. And I had all these visions of what this was going to look like. And, you know, Christmas is approaching. And I knew that that was the gift, you know. And he just couldn't, he couldn't get it done. And the problem was that this was a complex train layout with all these switches that switched from one track to the other. And model trains run based on um, electricity. So you have this transformer or this power source that, that sends electricity into the tracks. And then that electricity goes into the train and causes the motor to go and that's how how it runs but he couldn't he couldn't get the electric right on this train set so sometimes the tracks worked or certain sections of the track work and then others didn't and it just became and he'd call in friends and electrical experts and and we just could not get this and it never really worked like it worked kind of sort of sometimes and it was just really disappointing. And so, and he was really disappointed. And he felt like, you know, he had let me down and I was disappointed because I didn't have that. And um, that's what I wanted. And so eventually it just got covered with this big plastic sheet. It's almost like, a, like you cover a dead body, you know? Like it, was like, it was like, you know, we cover this thing up with a sheet. And then because we were storing stuff on the table at that point, you know, so we didn't want the stuff to get green flecks all over it. And then eventually the table just got taken down and, and it, just, it just never worked because, because the, the tracks were there and the train was there, but it didn't have the right power that flowed over it the way that it was designed to. So, so things moved on those tracks the way that they were supposed to. The words that we speak The words that God speaks are the rails that our life moves on. They're foundational. And so we can set up that foundation, those rails, like the train tracks, and th- that, that, those can be our words. And we can decide to travel on the words of our life that we feel are the right words. And, and pretty much most of the time, things end up getting derailed to continue the analogy. Or or we follow God's word and we receive God's word and we act on God's word and we speak God's word and we listen to God's word and we read God's word and we set our life on those rails and life goes where it's supposed to go, but only if those rails have the right power going to them. Otherwise, the train just just sits there. So there's different kinds of power that come behind words and, and make our life move on those words. Um, there are two signs hanging in the handicapped bathroom here. If you utilize the handicapped bathroom here, do you know what those two signs are? Does anybody, Gene, what, what's one of them? 
do not flush baby wipes down the toilet. Does anybody know what the other one says? Gene, this is not... Lift up the handle on the toilet so it does not run. Okay, now, hold that thought. There's power behind words. That power could be bitterness that's driving our words. It could be anger. It could be hatred. It could be fear. It could be joy. It could be happiness. It could be truth. But there's something that feeds the words that we speak. Like right now, I have this desire to teach you God's word this morning. So there's this excitement. There's this joy in God's word that's motivating my words this morning. But when we're having a fight with somebody that we love, we can use some pretty hurtful words to undercut that person. And we know it. We intentionally choose a source for our words, a power source that intentionally is meant to hurt them. Now, what do you think is the, the source of my words for this? What, what, what do you think my motivational power source for these words is? Gene, this is, uh, Gene's not a plant for this. Okay. Okay, yeah, but what's, what's, so when I wrote that then, what, what? Irritation, yeah, we're getting, yeah. I'm going to say it's the same thing for both of these. Fear. Fear was my motivation. Fear, the fear of that happening again. The fear of me having to come into the church on a Friday night when I'm actually at Chipotle eating burritos with my family. The fear of us having this magnanimous water bill and I don't know if it's a leak or where it's coming from, then I have to go into the basement every two weeks to check the water meter to see if it's a leak or something else or if it's because the toilet overflowed. This is all real life at Cornerstone. But there's this, as I thought about it, there's this level of fear that I feel about our plumbing because it's old. Tim knows what I'm talking about. And I want to project that fear to everybody who comes into our building so that we all share this fear of not, of not messing things up, of not costing the church money with the water bill, or of not causing water to back up and damage the church and have all these people in here cleaning up, you know, back up in the lobby on a Saturday night before the service. So there's a level of fear in which I'm trying to communicate. I didn't realize that until this week. And I was like, darn it, I really was, those are kind of manipulative. Like I could have said, please. I do, please. But do you think, that I'm, do you think I really mean please? No, I don't mean please. It's being hugely manipulative, right? I should have just said, do not flush, you know. Okay, so fear. Now, here's another example of the power behind our words. I'm going to say the same statement twice in a different way each time. I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to listen to what I'm saying, okay? Okay, here's the first one. You've hurt me again. I'm going to take the necessary steps to make sure this doesn't happen again. You've hurt me again. I'm going to take the necessary steps to make sure this this doesn't happen again. Okay, open your eyes. So what's the power behind my words in the first one? Anger, a vindictive retribution, 
Like, I'm going to get you. You're going to get yours. What about the second one? Still the same thing. Still a hard thing to say to somebody, but what's behind it? What was it, Dennis? Protection. Resignation. What was the last one? Hurt. Yeah, you've hurt me. But but even this, like, love towards the other. Like, I'm going to do something to make sure this doesn't happen again, but it's not going to be destroy you, you know? So there's this, this different power behind it. Scripture speaks to this. Proverbs twelve eighteen. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Fifteen four. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And then moving up to the New Testament, James chapter 3. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. It's the power of words. Words are the rails that our life runs on. And then there's a power that comes to those. What kind of power is feeding our words? And where does that make us go? Where do we end up? So let's read 1 Peter, starting in chapter. I want to read from chapter 1, verse 1, through the end of what I read previously already, okay? And, and, and listen, to, listen to the words here, and listen to pr- the progression of Peter. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about. When they prophesied, hear words there, when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. 
They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about. When he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news, words, has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Even the angels are moved by the words of the good news of Jesus Christ. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture's word say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know, how do they know? Through the prophets, through the words spoken, through the scriptures. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you can come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, when you obeyed those words. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters, Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for this word now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. The word of God. So in chapter 2, right in verse 1, it gives these examples that are very much like Messed up language, messed up words, right? Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. So get rid of those words that are not sourced by the right power. And, and, and crave this pure spiritual milk. Cry out for this nourishment, which is the eternal word of God. And set your life on that foundation. Follow that track. Get on those rails and powered by the right source. Peter knows that his readers who are under persecution do not have their eyes, ears, minds, and hearts trained on the eternal word of God. That if they are not, they will get derailed. That holiness will be abandoned. And holding on to the hope of a future inheritance in Christ will seem like this distant peripheral shadow in their life. Because they're on the wrong foundation of the word. They're on a different word foundation powered by the wrong source. 
and he's trying to get them back on the right foundation, powered by the right source, so they go where they're supposed to go, where they follow their design, where they experience joy, and where they end up with the internal, the eternal inheritance that has been promised to them, that the hope that they rely on. But this persecution is getting, is getting in the way. It's throwing them off track. If we walk backwards, starting in verse 2-3, chapter 2, verse 3, and walk back, we see this, what, what Peter's doing is he's building this foundation. He starts at the end, which is the eternal inheritance, and he's building towards this beginning point, which is the foundation of the eternal word of God. So he starts in verse 2, 3 with this longing for the word, right? Cry out for this nourishment. Get that pure spiritual milk, that word that really fulfills you, that really nourishes you. So he's, there's this longing for the word of God that we can feel as God's people because he created us in his image. We don't have to conjure this feeling up. Like we were designed to crave this word, his word, truth. And so we get into that word and, and, and it turns out there's a story in that word. And if you go to, if you, you, it mentions it, the good news and various throughout here, but in uh, the next place is in, in chapter 1, verse 25, if we're walking backwards. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So there's this content. We crave this thing, and, and we, we get to it, and we bite into it, and we find out that it's a story. And it's a story about Jesus. And it's a story about him dying on the cross for our sins and how much he loves us through that and how we're supposed to walk in that story with him. So we understand the content of this word a bit. And we're like, you know, that's a story that I vibe with because I experience life, and that, that story seems to fit in with my life. So we hear this story, and, and we vibe with it. And then we start obeying this word. We start doing things because it seems right. It seems like the right thing to do. It seems to, to work out for us. Sammy's obedient to pick up his stuff sometimes because he knows that it, it's good for him. He, he, he trusts me. He doesn't fully get it. Like, why can't that just sit there? But okay, if dad says it can't, then I'll just put it away eventually. And that, that's how we are as we grow in maturity in our faith, right? We, we hear this story. Okay, I know the story of Jesus and how, okay, cool. And then we start being obedient to that story. And when we start being obedient to that story, then we start understanding God's love for us. And this love that comes from this story, that comes from these words. We start experiencing that love, and then, and then we start kind of naturally living that love towards other people, like this Christ-like kind of love. And he talks about that in chapter 1, verse 22. And then, and then holiness starts to happen. Holiness isn't a checklist. Holiness happens because we, we understand the story more deeply, and, and that story is a story of love. And then we start loving other people. We start giving God's love around us, and then we find ourselves walking in holiness with him. And if you go to uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For the scriptures say, the word of God says, For the word of God says, You must be holy, because I'm holy. We, we don't just do that as an act. We, we overflow in that because we live in the story. So we start living in holiness and we find like, this is just natural. This is what we were made for. And when we walk in holiness, we actually walk with God. Because being close with God requires, requires a level of holiness. Like he's holy. To be in his presence requires holiness. 
not as a checklist, but as an overflow of the love that we experience in his word. And that inheritance comes through that holiness, like Peter already said, and that Barry and Justin taught on. That if we want this journey to continue towards this eternal inheritance, then we walk in holiness. So we flipped that first chapter on its head and looked from the back, the back of it to the front of it to see what Peter, what he's doing. The starting point for all of this, the foundation for all of it is the eternal word of God. Sometimes we want to and there's a lot of bad theology out there, you know, this heaven and hell theology that's like, we just do good things just so we don't go to hell, okay? Like, I'm just going to do things that I know are good because I've, I, I'm, an, I'm an adult and I've been around long enough to kind of know what people think is good things and what people think is bad things. And so I'm going to do the good thing so I can go to heaven because heaven sounds better than, than what hell sounds. So it becomes this works-motivated faith, works-righteousness, which is not what scripture talks about. And so heaven is this, this place that we try to earn our way towards, which scripture says you, you can't do that. But, but we do that. We try to. And so the motivations then for the eternal inheritance become like this deep fear. And it's not based on the goodness and the joy of the eternal word of God. There's this show that I watched recently. Maybe you're familiar with it. And, and it's about this concept of heaven and hell. It's called The Good Place. And um, in the good place, it, it, the concept is that there's, I'm not necessarily espousing this or telling you to go watch it. I don't necessarily agree with everything in the show, but it's, it's a comedy. And it's about um, people, what they do on earth, and they earn points. Positive points if they do good things and negative points if they do bad things. And if they earn enough points, they go to the good place, which is heaven, which is eternal and it's this great place. And if they do bad things and their point total doesn't meet a certain threshold, then they go to the bad place. And, and what they do in this show, the concept is based on they take all these philosophies of heaven and hell like through the ages and kind of weave them all together. And they kind of, you get a little bit of Christianity here or there and a little bit of Socrates here and there and a little bit of Plato or whoever, you know, here and there, probably Eastern religions here and there. And there's this gal that ends up in the good place, but it's a mistake She's supposed to be in the bad place. But somehow she got through the filters and ended up in the good place, and they figured this out. So now she's like, I don't want to go to the bad place. I want to stay in the good place. So they're trying to figure out this plan to, to help her get enough points to show whoever the great judges of eternity are that she should be, she should be allowed to stay in the good place. And you see her false, false motivations in this very short clip. Now, the average point total for a resident here is roughly 1.2 million. Right now, based on everything that you did on Earth, you have negative 4,008. That's not great, but I'm gonna do nice things for every goober in this place until my point total is so high, I can rub it in all their smug faces. You just lost five points. So we have this notion, and, and you know what, we laugh at that and, that, and that's funny. I laughed at it five times that I watched it this week in the office too. And, but, but we, we do that. Like we, we do that. We, we throw out the word of God. And instead of putting our lives, you know, as we journey on that foundation of God's word, we put it on a foundation of good works or motivations that are false, which just take us off track. It just, we completely miss it. The starting point 
for this inheritance that Peter talks about is the eternal word of God. And the power in that word is Jesus himself. Jesus is the power that feeds the eternal word of God. Genesis 1. Um, you know this? Wouldn't you know it? That is so funny. My pages fell out and I left them on my desk. I started Genesis 3. I mean, I know what this says, but I thought I'd read it right from... So funny. Wow. Um, so, you know what Genesis 1 says. It says, God said, let there be light. God said, let us separate you know, light from darkness. Let's, let's separate, you know, water, skies, land. Let's, let's have animals. God speaks, and there is in creation. And then in John 1, I don't think these pages fell out. John chapter 1. So keep Genesis 1 in your head. And then John 1 says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, through the word. And nothing was created except, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. That's Jesus. Like Jesus is the word. And Jesus brings life to everyone. We can read these words in this Bible and we can read them without that power in it. We can, and people have. We can read it as a law book. We can read it as a great story. We can read it as a list of rules to how we should or shouldn't live. And that, those are just words. But this word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword because Christ is the word. He's the word through which the world was created and spoken. He's the word that flows through these pages of the text. He is the word. This process is not a formula. You can't just put yourself on here and go, uh, I'm at the obedience stage. I'm working on love, having some trouble with that, having still problems with my neighbor, not loving my neighbor that great. Um, but I'm, I'm going to get to holiness maybe by July of 2020. I think I'll be there by then. That's not how this works. Jesus flows in and through this whole thing. We were created with a longing for the word and we were created through the word, through Jesus. It's Jesus' story that is the narrative of our life that vibes with us. The, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, we get it. We get that story of life and death and resurrection. We see it happening in the world around us. That's why we love movies that talk about, you know, death or broken things coming back to life. We love that story because that's the story of our life. It's the story of Jesus's life. We want to be obedient to the word. It's our design. It feels right. And it feels way better to love out of obedience than it does to hate people out of obedience. Like that destroys us. We feel the damage that does to our spirit. So Jesus is through all this. Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. 
I want to finish before before we go to communion with a story, something that happened to me um, in the past week, um, where I realized the power of my words and how how much harm that they do. Um, so Caleb was playing in this soccer tournament, um, like a little, like a 3v3, three, three people on each team. And he was playing with two of his friends from the neighborhood um, who they played soccer with each other for a number of years. And in the first game of this tournament, they played against this other team that came from a, a community outside of our county, a very affluent community um, with much better financial resources for their soccer program um, much better parent support for their soccer program, much better coaching um, in their soccer program. Uh, I used to coach all those boys, so, I, you know, they not the good coaching, but the, my son's coaching. And uh, so just better resourced. And um, so it was the boys from the city of Lebanon against the boys from this other community not that far away. And... Um, you know, Courtney and I like to tell the story of the city of Lebanon. You know, you hear us talk about the city a lot. Uh, we want to retell a different story. You know, we know, you know, people tend to look at the city and see the negative things and the bad things, which they exist and they're there. But, but we love to tell the story of, like, the God, what God is doing in our city. And so I can get pretty defensive, you know, when I hear somebody say something negative about the city, even if it's, even if it's true. So I'm, my radar is always up. And so there is this guy, a parent from the other team, that was like, he knew the players on our team, kind of. And he was saying our team was killing their team. It was like 4 nothing. And he was telling the father next to him, whose son was also on their team, all these reasons why our team was winning. Because he, he, he was looking for this reason why the City Boys were beating their team. And it was a, I think it was a tough pill for him to swallow, that these boys from the neighborhood were beating the boys that had supposedly everything. And so he was like, well, you know, they're all a year older. And, um, and, he, and he started saying things about specifically about the boys that weren't bad, but they were just, he had the facts wrong. He just didn't, he didn't have the information right. And Courtney and I were there and I was just like, oh my goodness. So I started saying things to Courtney, to Courtney, <laughs> two feet from this guy, correcting what he was saying because the story had to be told correctly. But the power for my words came from my own insecurities and my own fear, not from a true desire to care for this man and care about him. So I'm saying these things, and, and as, when I'm done saying it, he gets up and walks away. And I didn't know if he heard me or didn't hear me or what the timing of it all was, but I just felt, like, icky inside. Like, I felt gross. And I have for the past week. Um, and, it, and it was a small thing. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I, maybe it wasn't a small thing. I, I don't know, you know? I mean, it wasn't publicly broadcast. It wasn't, but, but whatever it was, small or big, it, it felt terrible to me. Like, the thing is, like, I, I know the guy. <laughs> I know him. And so my words put division there. My words were disruptive to that. I don't know him well. I don't have like this deep relationship with him, but I know him. My son used to play soccer with his son on another team together. And, 
And I realized how divisive my words have been over the course of the past week and divisive to my own spirit. Like just shame. Like, why did I just, why did I do that? Why did I need to feel to defend something that need to be defended? And I just felt the power of my words to like give this man an impression of something. There's so many dynamics to it. And then like, I was riding my bike down the street in Lebanon and I, I rode my bike past his wife like two days later. I was like, ah, what is she doing here? You know, it's like all like coming in on me. And I was just like, I never have seen her around here. What is she doing here? And it's like all just like spooking me, you know, and just realizing like this, Matt, like even this is just so disruptive to your spirit, to your soul. Like it's the wrong words with the wrong power source taking me in the wrong direction. We must speak less, he says while he's finishing his sermon. We must speak less and listen to his word more. We can study the word of God like a scholar and at the same time, let it soak into our spirits, into our hearts. We can engage it academically or intellectually. That, that's okay. But we also have to allow it to be alive in us We're called to be priests, and priests must live their lives on the rails of the word of God sourced by Jesus Christ. We're going to move into communion at this time. Um, There's two stations for communion in the back, one on each side. One with bread, and the other side over here has the cup. After you tear off, go over here first, tear off a piece of bread. Um, Naomi, I'm sorry, not Naomi. Tracy, Naomi was just walking past the table and I said her name naturally. Dwayne and, Dwayne and Tracy Brubaker are going to be serving communion to you. So take some bread and then you're going to journey to the other side and you're going to dip it in the juice and you're going to take communion, um, the body and uh, the blood of Christ. Um, there's going to be somebody praying at each station. Laurie Strell is going to be at one. Kyle Miles is going to be the other. So if you would desire prayer, please seek them out. And uh, Kyle or, or Laurie will pray for you. And I want to take us into communion with the words of Jesus from Luke 22. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you, now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice you. As we move into communion, remember the word. Remember Jesus. Remember what he has spoken to you. Remember what he continues to speak to you. And remember that he is the word.